This is a quick disclaimer. Although the wise investor is trying to educate people on personal finance, what we talk about on the show is not actually financial advice for your personal and unique situation. Before trying to do anything with your money, always consult a professional. Hey, this is Anthony. And I'm Sal. And you're listening to the Wise Investor Podcast, where we help Canadians become more financially literate one post at a time. This is what they did not teach you in school. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's episode of What They Did Not Teach You in School. Um, Today, we have two very special guests on the podcast, April and Daniel from Now Creative. Uh, They're going to talk to us a little bit about how to, their experience in starting a marketing agency, creative agency, and some of the financial pitfalls that they did not expect ended up happening. So they're going to share their journey with that. Um, But before we get started, a quick word to our sponsors, King Street Media. Thank you for putting together this and producing it. If you guys have any questions in regards to your own podcast and things like that, be sure to check out King Street Media. Okay, let's dive into it. So we kind of just get started by asking questions as if we were out for a coffee, getting to know each other a little bit more. Uh, Let the people out there get an idea of what your background is. What has gotten you into this room today with us talking about what we're going to be talking about. Okay. So, uh, Daniel, let's start with you. Like, you started the company, yeah? Yes, I did. What made you want to uh, get started in marketing in general? Like, did you have a corporate job that you left? Did you have some kind of story like that? Uh, I did not, but um, I've always been super interested in design and branding, and and that kind of led me naturally to apply to OCAD University. And I learned a lot, not just about graphic design, but how design thinking works and how... Uh, design can be applied to everything from you know physical objects to social media. So, and, then, and then when did you decide to start Now Creative? And why did you call it that? Yeah, well, <laughs> I've, I started about a year and a half or so after freelancing. Uh, I needed a change. I was stuck in working in different cafes in Brampton and uh, dealing with um, you know really, really, really small clients and, and people who mostly wanted... Um, favors or wanted business advice. And and really, I was just being paid very small amounts to do the actual design work. So um, I knew that I wanted to make a bigger impact on their businesses. And I gave all these people ideas and stuff, but I, I only was being paid to design them a business card. One of the pivotal moments was I took out a membership at a co-working space downtown Toronto. And that was like, that made it beyond just Daniel, right? Daniel, the freelance designer. So I created a bit of a landing page and a brief write-up on, you know, my iPhone notes about what I want now to be. And, uh, and very slowly, that was the the business plan. eh? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and very slowly, um, you know, worked with my network of people that I knew from university and and otherwise, um, put together some some freelancers (laughs) and that's how it became the agency. All right. And then April, when did you join this? So I joined the agency about three years ago. I think, this month is actually how long were you open for at that time uh 
Two and a half, three years. Yeah, yeah. something like that. So, I mean, I joined. So we joined early. halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> that's actually, I actually didn't know that. That's yeah. great. <laughs> um, but for me, like how I ended up in the marketing world, though, is it came out of a pure love for branding. Like I was that weird kid that loved watching commercials because I just <laughs> I, I thought it was so fascinating that these brands were, you know, telling stories in, the, in these interesting ways. Um, so for me, like I never had those hard skills. Like I wasn't an artist. I remember wanting to do art so bad in high school and my teachers be like, listen, like you can't do art. Like <laughs> you're not good at this. So, you know, when I got into the marketing world, it, it kind of showed me like, cool, like I can work on the brand side and focus on my own soft skills. Um, so how that's how I ended up in this world. And obviously I loved it and stayed in it. Uh, but yeah, it just came out of a love for branding. Did you go to school for something like that? No, I went to school for urban planning. Really? <laughs> so it was very different. I still try to find ways to like merge those worlds together wherever I can, whether it be like real estate marketing or whatever. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about that. What made you want to not be like the majority of marketing agencies where you're doing PPC ads and like running email campaigns and stuff like that? Because I know that you want to get paid for your ideas. And right. And yeah. uh, that creative agency is kind of where you're moving towards. What make did was that a transition? Did you always want to do that from the beginning? Yeah, the from I mean I can't speak for him, but for me from day one, the main goal has always been to build brands, create brand awareness, create original ideas, um, and really showing people the value and coming up with these innovative original ideas. Right? Um, I think if you look at some of the most successful brands out there, they were able to become as successful as they have been, yes, through strategic choices that have clear ROIs and, and KPIs and so on and so forth, but also it's their ability to take risks, right? Uh, with creative ideas and, and finding those opportunities that I think a lot of businesses are always apprehensive about jumping into. So those are the types of clients mm. we want to work with. Those and I, are I was just thinking when you were like risky campaigns and ideas, yeah. all I see is uh, push back, push back. Yes. Yeah. And that's, yeah, we do face that. Yeah. We deal with that all the time. Um, and it takes a really long time to get to a stage where people come to you just for those ideas, not just that, but where people are ready to hear these ideas and embrace them and really understand the impact that they can have. Um, mm -hmm. but for us, we've, we've personally always been really passionate about brand building and we just figured what's the point in doing something we don't even love doing. Right. It's, it's super simple. <laughs> like I, sure, yeah, like, that's I true. like I totally see the value in digital marketing. Of course I do. And what we do is when that's a part of the project, we pull in experts to support us there, but where we, where we continue owning, um, you know, the part of the project is through creating the content. Yeah. So we always, a lot of our audience is either professionals out of Toronto or business owners in the GTA. Mm -hmm. So, um, what would you, what would be one piece of advice that you would give to like a budding entrepreneur? Like, you know, uh, someone who's in their late twenties, early thirties type of a thing. And they're, um, looking to do some kind of like marketing campaign online. What would, what process do you take your clients through? Number one thing is it, it starts with your brand and your vision. Um, sometimes people are so ready to launch something right. and they haven't stepped back and actually looked at, okay, who's, who's actually going to buy this? Like who's going to buy into this and what is there to buy into? Right. So a lot of times people will look at, you know, they want to look for credibility, but if you don't have that credibility because you're brand new, 
you can have a strong story, right? A strong vision, a strong brand. And so for us, usually we try to slow people down and start that. Mm-hmm. Um, that also happens with things like crowdfunding campaigns, right? We've worked with a number of crowdfunding clients who are just like, yes, we want to launch a campaign next week. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're running a 30-day campaign, what are you going to post for 30 days, A? And B, who are you going to send that stuff to? You have to have a list of built of people who are going to actually see this stuff when you launch it, right? Yeah. So, so for us, like it's usually about focus on your actual brand first and your hard, vision. That's a hard balance because like, I don't know, you guys probably see this all the time. The classic type A eccentric entrepreneur founder yeah. who um, is like, go, 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 go. We have mm-hmm. to get it like next week. And yeah. We, we, yeah, April, April has, yet. April yeah. has sent some people away too. Right. Yeah. Or it's like, okay, listen, we need to work on this first. Like we're going to actually yep. try to push you to hold off on that campaign. That happens all the time where they're like, I just want to get started. I don't want to do strategy, <laughs> blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And uh, my whole thing is we can't do our job unless we have that foundation, right? Mm-hmm. I think strategy is something that's really underrated. And I think that what a lot of the bigger agencies can do to help that is really emphasize how important strategy is, right? Because you see you see the final product with these bigger agencies. You see what looks pretty, what looks funny, blah, blah, blah. But no one ever talks about the strategy and how that pay- plays a huge part in that How come product. no one talks about the strategy? Because it, it's just, it's classic because it's not the fun part. Strategy is not fun. You're doing a lot of analysis. You're doing so much analysis. It's so much research. It's it's not the f- most fun thing to do. I personally think it's really fun because I'm a dork, but <laughs> most people don't, right? Yeah. And it also, it also helps you figure out what makes you different and really questions. So and, yeah. It challenges yeah. your idea, right? Like for me, I'm not a business coach or anything too, but I'm able to look at, you know, through those, through that process, we're able to give them that lens and see how they can become more competitive, how they can become more unique. You know, sometimes, you know, not every single product has to be amazingly unique. Sometimes it could just be something very practical. It's just about positioning sometimes too. Exactly. So, I mean, one thing I did want to speak to is you mentioned that person, uh, like that type A persona. Yeah, is that true? It is. Is ex- everyone like that? <laughs> it's or extremely. Is it a majority of the yeah, time. No, no, we've had that. <laughs> oh, we've we, we've had plenty of them, but I think with them, they're so close to their business, and sometimes it's just about asking the right questions. Right. Because they there's things that they they don't even think about that we can just simply ask them about and they'd be like, whoa, like I never thought of it like that, right? Mm -hmm. But that's just, that's classic for anyone who's working really closely with their business. Um, Even for me, like working so closely with the agency, I try to step back from time to time um, and not just assume that people understand what's going on behind the scenes, right? Um, right. And so like, if we were to give them advice, it's, it's not just, we don't just want to tell people to slow down. Right. That's not yeah. what we're here to do. Like I agree in momentum and, and like, there's definitely area you can focus on while we can handle some of that other planning and strategy for you. Mm-hmm. But like the advice I would give is yeah, really focus on like what's going to generate the biggest impact now. Right. People come to us sometimes, especially when I was a freelancer, right? And they mm-hmm. pitch their whole vision for world domination, right? And then right? they're like, I have like a thousand dollar budget. Exactly, yeah. right? So, <laughs> or so, if nothing, I'm, I'm offering you equity. Right. Yeah. So there's that. And, and, and really... <laughs> April is such the business person of this of this crew over for here. sure for sure so so for <laughs> so for us we kind of have to stop people in their tracks but but again it's like what will generate the biggest result first if you tell me you want to launch let's say your product is t-shirts right mm-hmm. clothing but you're trying to launch a concert series and uh, a whole like content campaign and you're doing like all like 
that's you're going to present us with this vision, right? Well, what's going to give us the most bang for your buck, A, and also like when you don't have a lot of money to, and also what's going to show you that this is working? Like, how are you going to know that this is successful, right? Mm -hmm. So for us, if we can focus on, let's say, one out of those three or four ideas you have, make that strong enough, use that as leverage to then get partnerships, get other clients, get some income and revenue generated so that you can then hire us to do the rest. Right. Um, so sometimes that's, that's what comes out in strategy. And that's what I would love. Like I give people, um, uh, that advice when they're, like you said, someone who's like mid twenties, early thirties, who's like, I want to start something amazing. Well, it all starts small, right? Yeah. yeah. Can I add something to that? I, and sure. just speaking directly to that mid twenties sort of person who just wants to start something, something really actionable you can do is just look at, your favorite brands and reverse engineer as much as i hate buzz hate buzzwords there's sometimes so much value in just looking at what a brand has done and just working back and seeing how they got there hmm. there's so many resources you can find online in books and whatever to learn about these things and i i wish i had any time to do that because you learn so much through that process i usually find that uh things either cost time or money yes. so <laughs> right if you don't have the time yeah. you kind of need the money if yep. you don't have either right. then you're kind of screwed right. <laughs> i have a question for you april so yeah. a lot of companies they may come to you and they say well you know we have these great branding this great branding vision that we want to do right but their revenue is not there yet so how do you help clients through that balancing act of long-term branding and short-term campaigns that get you roi and like you know right kind of right away in for a sure. sense for sure so i mean just to go back to the question about, you know, a brand that doesn't necessarily have the revenue to invest in larger projects. I mean, there's only been a couple times where I've said like, hey, this really isn't a good fit. But mm -hmm. more often than not, we'll find a way to help them out or work together. Um, now, it, to me, it is really important, especially when they're a smaller business, to give them the most bang for their buck. Because um, the, the way they quantify anything is so different than a corporate client or an enterprise, right? So I try to be really conscious about that, and I try to empathize from that perspective as much as possible. Now, in terms of how I balance bigger picture ideas and things that are small, actionable, and likely to see results quickly, um, I try to make sure that they understand the value of the of having that foundation there so i'll say okay i understand that this is your budget i do not recommend that you just take the budget and throw stuff up there don't use stock images mm -hmm. with text on it and throw it up we can we can find a middle <laughs> ground here you know that sounds um, like an internal story there yeah it, it, it happens all the time because they're like but we have the ad budget why won't it work right and it's like well you can't just throw stuff out there and i'm sure you can relate to this tony too right mm -hmm. um having that great content there is so important so for me it's just been about finding a middle ground, uh, figuring out the best way for us to put some fresh new stuff out for the client while still making sure that we're using their budget as much as we can in the most respectful way possible, right? Mm. And we've, we've done this to ourselves. We love working with small businesses. So this is a challenge we face all the time, right? Yeah, well, even from ourselves, like we started with a very... The Wise Investor podcast is a very long-term play. It's mm -hmm. like, I don't make money off of this. I kind of right. just do it as my passion project. Mm -hmm. And we started off with a very, very small budget. And it was literally just a crappy iPhone taking videos of me. Then we slowly got these cameras. We slowly could afford these podcast rooms and like things like that. And it's it's a slow progress for branding. But I personally believe that you need to focus on the short-term ROI mm -hmm. campaigns especially at the beginning or in the first five years of a, of a company. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Like if you have a smaller budget, 
And as much as I would love to do a completely new brand for you, I won't recommend that right off the bat. Yeah. It, sometimes we see stuff where we create a great brand for someone. They oh, didn't, that is the worst thing. Yeah. They going. didn't want, they didn't want to pay for execution or they yeah. didn't have the money to hire mm. someone to actually, you know, mm-hmm. launch it they for them. They do nothing with it. They, they either do nothing, but it, it's worse when they put it up and it's, it's super yeah. half-assed, right? Or they right? violate the crap out of it. Yeah. Like, like they, they'll, they'll oh, exactly like they'll, yeah. they'll put the logo, like they'll, they'll put the logo exactly low resolution. They'll put it on <laughs> uh, images where like the colors are clashing and or it's like, we did all this planning and you're not <laughs> exactly. following through so properly. It's very unfortunate because because that's you know again they like um there's always that thing about execution right like mm-hmm. you can have all these plans and these visions but it's a waste of money and time if you're not going to execute on it properly april quick question for you i ask this to almost everybody on the podcast what's your thoughts on because i love the different thoughts on it right what's your thoughts on the whole re- working remote versus an <clears throat> office space uh yeah. thing that's a trend that's going around mm-hmm. i have a lot of thoughts about this so i consider myself a pretty transient person um i don't like feel the need to be you know stuck in one place however my opinions have constantly changed because we've they been have so changed. many yeah we've been in so many different spaces i'll tell you my current structure my current structure is that i work from home three days a week mm-hmm. um and two days a week are dedicated to meetings phone calls where i'm like willing to run around for like eight hours straight um or like stuff like this like doing recordings right anything that's a little different than being at my computer all day so we've been in a variety of physical settings whether it be co-working spaces or working from home or working from a studio or from coffee shops etc etc for me when we had a bigger team it was really important to me that we had a studio and had a studio where everyone was happy being there every day right Um, and april would be there every single day i would be there more than more than me for sure right that was important for her that was that was super important to me now that my role has dramatically changed where i'm looking at bigger picture stuff higher level stuff really building the agency um i prefer to work from home and focus on those tasks and now that i have an account manager who works under me um i i do prefer for her to be in the studio um where she's able to work directly with her teammates right mm-hmm. um it, it really changes constantly and for daniel like i really like for his focus to be going out there meeting with people i hate seeing him stuck in front of his computer right right um i i, I don't feel like that's that what what he needs to be doing it's qu- quite draining for him i'm sure so um generally my my thoughts with uh remote work and uh not remote work is that it could be both you just need to figure out work what works well for you um but as an agency i would not like for us to see as a csb a completely remote team because we're throwing around ideas we're collaborating we We go we go back and forth on that yeah a lot of people have every week we're like oh man for the (laughs) amount of money that we spend on rent we could go live in costa rica for the winter (laughs) serious conversation that we had like last week and today with the with the snow happening i'm sure it's going to come up again over lunch but um right so it's that but then at the same time is I believe that over a long term, if you want to build a cohesive team, you kind of need a place for everyone to come together. Maybe not every day, but yeah. And we, and with working with a lot of junior team members too. So like we've without an office, you can't have co-op students. You can't have interns, right? right? It's very difficult. So yeah, like you don't know what the heck they're working on. And, and you know, for me, they need training and development. They need need that. Right. Yeah. And so we almost went, uh, I will admit that I went too strong on that side uh, at our old office, right. Where we had like, 
we called it one summer as like the intern army where it's like we had this whole crew of people and I had, I had to be there to constantly like there were days where I would show up there and I would condense the time I was there. Right. Mm -hmm. Like the mornings I would do my own stuff and, and I would literally just be hit with questions, right? Like I'm, I'm constantly firing off and you know, sometimes depending on the project, they can't go too long without also needing to, to ask something again. Right. And that's fine. And at because, what point is that counterproductive? Right, exactly. So for me, obviously, when there's a bunch of interns, it's fine because they're all still doing something more than I could do on my own. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you also have to question, like, what experience are they actually getting out of it, too? So mm -hmm. for some of them, they learned a ton, right? For some of them, they really understood how things work. E even if they didn't improve their craft, they understood how business works, how an agency works. Mm -hmm. um, some of them would, you know, come come to me with events. We would have them volunteering, having booths. For us. Like, we could try to engage them in the startup community and stuff like that. But again, if you think about it, it's almost like a program you're running, right? <laughs> and for April and I, as we got busier and as we realized like there's this too much of a divide between us and the team, you know, we, we can't be managing that, right? Our time has to go somewhere else. I so, know, it's tough. April, what, a quick question for you too, and then we'll move on to some things yeah. money related that we've been wanting to talk about. But um, what's your thoughts on, you've heard uh, working on the business versus working in the business. Mm -hmm. You've heard this term before. Um, how do... What was your mindset on that like two years ago and how has it changed? And what do you want to get better at when it comes to that um, that balance? For sure. And so, first, what is your opinion on when I say working on the business versus working uh, in the yeah. business? Good so, question. Yeah, I'll, I'll give an example. So working on the like working on the business would for me be closing a deal, offloading it to the team working in the business is me suddenly doing the work that I just sold, right? Mm -hmm. So me creating shot lists and, and creating visions and so on for, for the project itself. Honestly, sometimes... Working, in, working on the business is not only just closing deals too. Right, no, absolutely. That's that's right. where I come in though, right? Right, like so April's focus. building the brand, building the agency. Building processes um, and systems. Exactly, absolutely. And figuring out the right tools to actually sustain what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Spending but, a day solid with back-to-back -back interviews. Yeah, trying seriously, to hire people. it's happened. Yeah. Um, but what I found is there's nothing wrong with it. I think that if you have the skills to do it, embrace it. Especially if you're an agency that's as small as we are currently, right? Um, we don't have unlimited resources and oftentimes a lot of our clients want to work directly with us. Now, what's important is for us to figure out what's healthy and what's not healthy and how much time we're actually spending on it. If I'm spending my entire day trying to work on this project, that's an issue because that means that I whole company's on hold, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I was going to list off all the things, but yes, yeah. the, the whole company is on <laughs> hold. Um, so, I mean, my, my perspective is, and that's also how a lot of agencies come to be is that it's two very talented, uh, like graphic brands. designers yeah, exactly. or videographers or something. Exactly. And that th that's how it starts off and people want to work with them directly. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause they've somehow, uh, acquired the skill to, to think, you know, to, to be in the mindset of I need to build an agency, yet they also have these amazing hard skills. So naturally, people want to work with them. That's actually yeah. in a lot of businesses, actually, yes. like a restaurant's yeah. usually like a server or a, or a chef that was like, 100%. I could do this thing or like yeah. in various different aspects. That's how it is. And the biggest problem that I see for business owners in turning their skill or their freelance skill set into an actual company with business with processes and systems that are scalable yes. and a business model that is sustainable 
is that they don't work enough on the business totally, because they're yeah. practitioners. Yeah. Yep. And I and my, my one of my thoughts there is it doesn't need to you don't need to cut it off. It can be a gradual thing, right? Mm-hmm. For us we've had many moments where like we're cutting it off. Um also like for me like the past two or three weeks i took myself off of accounts completely mm-hmm. i said we made a decision as a team that i won't be addressing any clients i won't be uh diving into project management if there's a fire i won't dive right in because my team likely has everything they they need to tackle it right um so that was a conscious decision and that, that that's was not me. easy to do no it's so so hard and every time i see an email come through i'm so tempted to click it but that's when i have to say you know what i trust my team <laughs> And I know they can handle this. Yeah. And and obviously, exactly. And I stepped in to kind of supplement that too, right? Because normally I wouldn't be involved in any of the day-to-day communication with the client. So for that period of time, um, that's, you know, where I got to step in. So of course, it's like you're constantly juggling something, right? But there's always going to be something that's not currently being addressed in any small business. Um, But for us, we're able to at least um, kind of jump back and Mm -hmm. forth between that. And what is your priority at the current time, right? Hmm. If we are desperate for new talent, can't assign stuff. We're gonna, I'm gonna be out there making partnerships. I'm gonna be out there recruiting, right? And I'm gonna, that's gonna take up a disproportionate amount of my week, right? True. But if I did that for the whole year, of course, everything else would fall to the floor. So Makes sense. it's about that juggling that balance. Right? As you guys know, probably is I started this podcast. It was primarily just a financial podcast i had like accountants mortgage brokers real estate agents on the show in order to like talk about oh what's a capital gain and like Mm -hmm. what's a dividend and all this kind of stuff right and we still mix that in but we kind of have gotten uh into people that are outside of the finance industry reason is because you have the best perspective on how normal people Mm -hmm. view the world like stefano and i grew up essentially working at TD Bank for our entire childhood or um, a young adulthood. Were you guys bank tellers? I was a bank teller. He I was, was a bank too. teller. At where? CIBC. Okay, so you have... Competition. So, <laughs> oh, yeah, big competition, actually. I hated so, it. But... <laughs> yeah, no teller likes... No, no teller actually likes their job from the outside looking in. From the outside looking in, people are like, oh, it's the best job ever. But from the inside looking out, you're like, ah. Yeah, it has its moment. <laughs> sure, maybe. Stefano enjoyed it, I guess. But So I like getting an outside perspective on people's journeys through finance that are not in the industry. So I have some questions in related in relation to that. So Daniel, you had no experience. You never worked at a bank, yeah? Never worked at a bank. Okay. Could, could not work at a bank. So why don't you take us a little bit through your journey? And I know April's got to go because her phone, she has two phones here yeah. for everyone that can't see. And they've been going off the hook. I'm sure she's got like four fires and three clients that are like, take my money. But she's, <laughs> but she's, but she's given us the, her time of day. So I'm going to get April out of here soon. But Daniel, why don't you tell us a little bit about your, I just have two more questions than uh, April, your uh, off the hook here. <laughs> so. What was your experience starting the company, opening up the bank account? How do I do, how do I even register myself? What was yep. your process with that? What were some mistakes that you made that you wish you knew now, the things that you know now you wish you knew back then when it came to that? So yeah, so funny enough, I, I got my experience with the banking and registration and all that through my nonprofit because it's, if you don't know, incorporating a nonprofit is very much like registering a business, right? Mm-hmm. There's a little bit more paperwork that they need to know, but that's how it works. So I had a business account. I knew how all that worked. Um, when I, when I registered the business, I started off as a sole proprietorship. So it was just me. It was called Daniel Design. And, and just so everyone knows, a sole proprietorship is essentially just registering yourself 
as a business in some shape, way, shape or form. Yes, exactly. And you can choose to separate the account or not. So for me, it's literally just, you know, a separate bank account and my own personal account. Mm -hmm. That's how I was operating as a freelancer. And you choose what and how to declare that. Um, then when I registered the company, I incorporated it. So right away from day one. So the incorporation date is pretty much what we use as our anniversary date. And the reason for incorporating for everybody out there is a corporation is considered in the world, uh, its own entity. So it's like a new person you're creating, but it's like a business person. Exactly. And, and so, and, and therefore, yeah, therefore, if that person gets sued, Daniel's not going to get sued necessarily. Always, always they could, speak, they always could also with, choose to sue me as yeah, well. Yeah, always speak with your lawyer about these types of things. And uh, yep, <laughs> gotta put that plug in there. And then yep. um, also, the corporation itself has to file its own separate tax returns that are yes. more complicated than a personal tax return. Right. And actually, I think prior to doing that, uh, I had an HST number for my for my other business. Very important to get um, as well. Yeah. So I mean, it's optional until you reach I think thirty thousand in, in right. annual exactly. revenue. So when I was a freelancer, um, I did I did register as HST because number one reason was a bunch of clients said they required it. Mm -hmm. They want to have a tax write off, right? right yeah. uh, for that business expense. Um, so when I when I incorporated, I moved that uh, HST number over. Um, now you know if you ask my mom, who she she used to work in taxes specifically, mm -hmm. um, she would tell me that I incorporated too early because of the amount of administrative work that does happen when you incorporate. Uh, and when you that have is something to to look at because. Yeah. You have to you have to always ask why am I incorporating, and if it's either for tax reasons or liability reasons, then those are two different times totally. in which you would uh, actually incorporate. Depending on how much you're making and the type of business you have, right? Exactly, that's how you would decide that for yeah. sure. So for me, she says we did it too early, um, but that's only because again we don't have like a you know a finance director on our team, right? Mm -hmm. So there's going to be most that people don't exactly right. There's going to be that added cost of having to do the accounting, having to have someone do bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so, you know, we started off very simply. We used FreshBooks. We build everyone through there. FreshBooks doesn't uh, easily translate into the in-depth reports that you need. Mm -hmm. um, they they have been improving their their features, but again, we just switched to FreshBooks. You just fished. Like like okay, week. so they have a, they have a new version, right? Mm -hmm. um, we had a lot of issues with them because they don't uh, just the way that it categorizes the expenses. There's no actual balance sheets and stuff on there. It's just your mostly your sales and your invoicing, right? Mm -hmm. So we. How did you learn how to do this? Because for most people, what you just <laughs> said there in the last twenty seconds, they're like. Yeah, well, I didn't. I didn't know. I had no idea how to do it. So I uh, ended up speaking with a couple of like accountants and bookkeepers. And, you know, it turns out the first time I did the, the proper filing for not creative group, it was it was very difficult because we had to really backtrack. Right. And get all this information. And, you know, we probably doubled the amount of work we were doing in terms of the volume of invoices and expenses and team members mm -hmm. um, the next year. And it's like, OK, there would be too much to manually go through. So how do we properly do this? So um, having ways to do it, we had a we had a bookkeeper go through you know all of our backlogs. And typically, how much does a bookkeeper cost per month? Typically, uh, we didn't pay monthly, so we just paid a couple times when we were trying to file our, our uh, HST. So we chose to file our HST quarterly. You can file annually. Uh, we do it quarterly because you know. If you don't do it quarterly, you're going to have a pretty big tax bill at the end of the year. Yeah, a couple um, tips for everyone out there. One, if you hit a certain amount of income or revenue, you have to file quarterly. You don't have a choice. Right. Second is it's probably better to file quarterly because a lot of people make the mistake of spending their HST yep. money. Yep. So if you do charge HST, take it, take a separate put account. it into a separate account. Yeah. That is the biggest, most common mistake that people make in their first year. <laughs> 
Um, and then also budget for bookkeeping services, which mm -hmm. is typically three to 500 bucks a month, maybe 600 and year end uh, incorporation, which is anywhere from a thousand to like $2,500 a exactly. year. Exactly. And that's the thing that you won't have if you're, yeah, if you're a sole proprietor, you wouldn't need that, right? Exactly. Right. So you need to make that decision. Do I incorporate now? If you're like a construction company that if something happens on the job site, you can get sued, maybe incorporate right off right. the get-go. Mm -hmm. But if you're just a, not just a, but if you're a marketing agency, there's not that high of a risk of you getting like sued. So um, maybe you'd want to wait because of the added costs to incorporate. Now, the second, the other reason though, the other factor is employees, right? So for mm -hmm. me, if you're going to have employees, that adds a whole other level of risk as well. So having um, a corporation helps because um, I can- If somebody faints on in your, in your, <laughs> in your office. Yes, exactly. Um, so with that though, that adds another level of things because you're dealing with things like payroll tax, you're withholding, you know, CPP and all that type of stuff too. So that's something that again, um, I went through and- you know, if people are working with you on a very, very regular basis, like regular as in they're working for you full time uh, or they're submitting that, unless they are a business invoicing you once a month or, or twice a month and charging HST on that, then you have to be able to like file this like, hey, you know what? I'm actually really impressed with your knowledge on that. <laughs> How did you get through that? Is it because your mom's a, in tax or? That's the thing. So she only did personal tax, but mm -hmm. um, but we did a ton of research and figured out exactly what we should be doing. It, it um, just met with some coffees with some accountants, picked yep, their brain, that pretty kind much. Of thing. We asked a few people, um, did a lot of research, spoke with the CRA a few times and, and figured out what the best way to do it was. Now, sometimes, sometimes through trial and error. Sometimes you throw trial and error for sure. And like, you know, the CRA is not the most forgiving uh, organization, but uh, <laughs> they will tell you how to do it the right way for sure. So I, got um, I learned a lot about that. And again, you can help. It helps you make decisions when you're hiring someone moving forward too. Um, quick question for you. Then you're out of here. Um, how has, because most people know that when you start a company, you there's financial risk associated with that. There's no guarantee for a lot of startups that there's going to be income for you next month, mm -hmm. you know, let alone three months from now. What's been your experience, one, with planning your personal finances? You don't got to tell details and stuff like <laughs> that, but what, how has that been for you, the ups and the downs? And what kind of advice would you give to somebody starting out uh, in the business world? Yeah, for when sure. it comes so to like income volatility or unpredictability. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah, so... Finances are something that I'm personally just starting to really focus on. Um, I'm, I'd say I'm relatively young. I'm 23. So I'm having a bit of a coming of age kind of situation, right? Um, and really trying to understand how to handle my finances, trying to plan years into the future, et cetera, et cetera. So um, it's, it's, it's tough because, you know, this is a world I love being in, which is the startup world. Um, I don't want to go get a nine to five. I don't find a steady income that exciting, you know, <laughs> um, when it, when you look at, you know, what you get out of it, which is something really boring. I love working in an environment where it's a playground every day. Right. But with that but comes the cost. Exactly. Of... <laughs> and now for more actionable stuff and more, you know, the, the reality of it, I think for me, it's first of all, learning to live beneath my means is huge. Um, and really understanding the fact that, yes, I'm young and I can go out and do whatever I need to do. Um, but living beneath my means has been a huge thing that I'm really trying to focus on and trying to understand that I don't need to spend every dime. Right. Um, I think that's huge for any young entrepreneurs um, that, you know, trying to live life to the fullest while also growing 
you know this thing that is some kind of like nest egg for you yeah it's, uh, it's, it's, and, oh, and the company too that's a, yes. that's a dichotomy there yes. yeah and when yeah. you can also for april she started off doing sales right so she so commission is a big factor right. as well in mm-hmm. planning right. out you know what you're going to be making so right. for those people who are only getting paid on commission like that's a that's a struggle too right because mm-hmm. i mean we've had people that couldn't make it right they they didn't sell anything in their first month or two and they're gone right mm-hmm. so because they didn't have money saved up to survive it let's exactly say. right True. Exactly. Um, if you had one question for us to ex-bankers, mm-hmm. financial planners, Oof. if you have anything, do you, what would it be? Oh, I wish he asked me this earlier. You're asking, so April is someone who doesn't have a credit card. So oh, I don't yeah. Know. So tell me this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm someone who doesn't have a credit card because my, my relationship with money has been really weird. My parents are entrepreneurs. So like growing and they were always really transparent about that stuff since mm-hmm. I was a kid. Right. So my relationship with money is super wacky. Um, in a bad way? In a bad way. <laughs> in a bad way. Like I, I. Yeah. So for you guys, what are the top two let's keep it to two pros and cons of having a credit card <laughs> stefano to be honest having a credit card is great yeah. but yes. knowing how to use it right. is what it comes down to. <laughs> and having the control to use it yeah, so the because pros, it's so much easier just to like swipe than to take out 50 bucks <laughs> and yeah. hand it to somebody but everyone uses debit now anyway right. so everyone's tapping but they're debit so it's the same stuff True. but Having a credit card, you know, you could take advantage of points because mm-hmm. credit cards charge merchants to use it. Right. So you're going to get so it's points. it's a long haul. But yeah. you, you need to pay the balance. You need to build the credit history. Right. right? That's so a thing, too. If you ever want to get apply, apply for a car <laughs> or a mortgage yeah, or something. Yeah, if I want to get assets, I'm going to need a credit card or a credit score, right? So, I mean, for someone like me who's survived without a credit card, would you say I'm a good candidate for a credit card? Or yeah, never have that? One. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. I would say so. Okay. The bank will give you a credit card if you have zero credit history. But okay. if you had a phone bill that you never paid like five right. years ago, you might have some trouble. Okay, I think I'm good on that. Yeah, yeah, so get it. Get yourself a credit card, even if you don't use it. Just mm-hmm. having just it will build, build credit, that credit yeah. score, you know? And but April's, then, April's heard this before. But then <clears throat> good luck, because uh, everyone is logical and yeah. emotional at the same time, but humans are mainly emotional. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to credit cards, I've made my fair share of mistakes. You, Stefano? To be honest, I'm um, lucky that I worked for a bank. I was, I was taught the right way of using a credit card. Gosh, she's I was making t- me look bad. Yeah. <laughs> when I was at the bank, you all never, I did... Sorry, go ahead. No, you, yeah. you never you never threw uh, a trip on a credit card and was like, fuck it, I'll take care of it later. 100%. Future 100%, Stefano's problem. 100%. But if, if you are smart and you have a secondary like line of credit to pay your credit card with, you'll Sweet. avoid having to pay high Pro interest. tip... If you're carrying a balance on a credit card, get a line of credit and pay it off because it's a less interest rate. April, thank, thank you. you very much. <clears throat> thank you. Go do what you got to do and we'll just uh, pick Daniel's brain for another Sweet. 10 minutes here. <laughs> so we're going to actually uh, take a couple questions here that Daniel and I um, have been getting asked a lot because you've been doing a kind of business development uh, talk that you've been developing. You did it yesterday. How'd that go? Yeah, that was interesting. Uh, I presented to business students uh, at York University. So it was an entrepreneurship talk and it was about uh, it was about money, which was, again, one of my first talks that I've done. So Sweet. So what's uh, so what were some of the questions that came up and let's discuss them now since you have two financial planners in the room? <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. I'll, and also, how did you even do that talk? Did you have to do a lot of research? Who uh, helped you with that? Uh, so what I decided to do was uh, I did a series of myths, money myths, mm-hmm. and then 
things that I've learned to be true about money. Okay, so, so let's, let's touch upon some of those topics here. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, a big a big one of them was to do with the the expectations that you know, if you go into a business and you have a startup, you're going to be able to immediately scale and you know and and make and a, sell make a crap ton of money. Exactly right. So. Uh, one of them was that you don't need to raise capital before starting a business. And I think that's um, one of the things that the startup world and the media pushes is like mm -hmm. everyone's talking about these big raises and they're spending all this time get, trying to get money, but they're not actually doing anything for the business yet. So uh, I didn't want that to be a source of uh, inaction, right, for, for these startups. Mm -hmm. um, I also talked about how only money and the myth being that only money is what can motivate employees and for me, my experience, knowing that I, when I started off, I have had very little money to pay these people. Uh, it wasn't the money, right? It was the experience. It was hanging out with us. It was, um, you know, obviously perks like lunches and all bubble tea and all that stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. It was getting access to these really cool people that are experts that would come to us for videos, for events, um, getting to go to things, getting to go on trips. So it's, it's not just about the money, right? It's about how you, um, how do you can provide other value to that team member, right? Right. Um, so happiness. yeah, happiness is happiness. Answer. I mean, yeah, it's hard to you know, it's hard to call like hustling in a startup happiness yeah. for them, right? Especially because it's not their business. But for sure, you're you're giving them you're giving them some value, and there's other benefits besides money. Now, not everyone will be able to subscribe to that mentality, right? Mm -hmm. So you'll you'll find people right away if they're just there for the money, they won't survive early on in a startup, right? Yeah. And uh, actually, that was one of the questions that uh, I got asked by the York uh, one of the York students was, um, you know, how how do you know how long to stay within a startup, and how do you know that's going to be a good culture fit? And I said that you're mostly going there for the culture fit and the experience, so you need to find a way to interview, do an informational interview with some of the other team members and figure out if that's actually a place you want to work. Because hmm. just based on their marketing, everything's going to look amazing, right? Yeah, everything always looks better <laughs> from the outside looking in. Can't exactly. uh, can't agree with you more there. <laughs> um, so what were other, some other questions that you came across that most entrepreneurs are looking to get solved as well? Um, so number one is, especially with other agency owners that I've spoken with, is how do you know how much to pay yourself as the founder? Obviously, you have hard expenses that come first and you have uh, team members you got to pay to get stuff done. But a lot of times you're left with either whatever's left over or you keep it all in the company for as long as you can. I love that question. So um, the first thing is that it's always easier to start a company when you're younger because right. you're probably living at home. Your expenses are low. You're not used to this like high end lifestyle. Yeah. Now there's a dichotomy there because okay, I'm starting to get younger, my expenses are lower, but um, I also don't know as much, right? So mm -hmm. there's that whole argument. But it's easier to start a company when you're younger because you're not going from $100,000 a year to like $30,000 a year in your first year of starting right. up the company. Right. Um, but how much do you pay yourself? That's a great, 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 <laughs> great question. So it has to do a lot with your lifestyle and what you want to make, fair. But most entrepreneurs need to sacrifice because for every dollar that you're not paying yourself, yep. you're investing back into the company's growth. Right? Uh, and the compound effect of that is any dollar that you put in early on will have an exponential uh, effect on the growth of your company over the long term. Right. right? You also get into business for yourself to make money on the back end. Business owners should get paid last. Right. Typically. Typically right? that's this what is, happens. Yep. This is my philosophy on how to grow a successful company. Business owners should get paid last. Your employees should get paid first. 
you know, your director should get paid second with a bonus if they do well. And then your founding team should get paid if the company does, you know, if the company profits. Now, we live in a world, especially in Toronto and Silicon Valley, where people with companies with zero revenue are raising a million bucks and paying their founding staff like $100,000 a year, right? <laughs> I don't really get that. I also think that the days of those venture capital plays are kind of over. Interesting stat, 2019 was the first year that venture capital raises went down in the last 10 years. Mm, okay. Could be because of the cooling economy. I'm not exactly sure, but uh, it looks like venture capitalists are looking to deploy their money in more sure things and not pre-revenue companies. So that's a hard thing to, you know, if you have a kid and a mortgage, you have to pay yourself, right? Yeah. And that's, I'm not saying you can't do that. Yeah but that's going to sacrifice growth in your company over the long term. And it's funny. I've actually heard of a startup. I don't know if it was, um, well, obviously I'm not going to say who they are, but uh, where there was like three or four partners mm -hmm. and they had decided to pay the person who had kids when none of the rest could get paid. And you know what? Doesn't I mean that that's, that. Yeah, of course. It doesn't mean that that was like the most senior person or the right person, but that's, that's what they had to do. If they want to keep the person around, yeah. they realize that. So, to that point, it's a lot easier to start when you're younger, but you don't have, like you say, you don't have a mortgage, a car, all this type of thing to worry about. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other, what, what are some other ones? Let's run off a couple. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, you know, how does an entrepreneur uh, make like an accurate financial plan or budget uh, if your income could be variable? And I know so Shit. much of it is about planning, right? That is a very difficult one. Stefano, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. How do you do financial planning for an entrepreneur who has variable income? Very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> I would say like, man, it's tough. There's almost no financial planning that an entrepreneur can do except for risk management. Yeah, the biggest it, thing. Exactly. So risk management in the sense that like, if I'm a teacher and I'm making $3,000 a month, let's just say, okay. Yeah. Uh, and my expenses are $2,000 a month, my fixed expenses. Then I know that I can. I have a thousand dollars that I can put into investment accounts. Right now, the thing is with investment accounts is that if the investment is down, it's very foolish, and therefore you. I would say to my clients, you can't take money from that account, right? And when I was like working at TD Bank, I would keep like zero dollars in my checking account, and all of my money would just go into my investment accounts, okay. right? Because I knew that I was going to get another paycheck in two weeks. Now, as an entrepreneur. And what Stefano is talking about risk management is you need to keep more money essentially in what we call a short-term reserve, okay. which is just cash. And investors, when they say cash, they don't mean like under your pillow, like wads of cash. They mean like just in your checkings right. or savings account accessible to you, yep. not going up and down. So like a teacher may only need to keep one month of expenses inside their short-term reserve, but like a realtor or a startup founder might need to keep if they can, eight to 12 months, maybe even 15 months worth of expenses in cash inside their bank account. And for all the founders, uh, the would-be uh, would founders out there, uh, I would recommend that you either get a part-time job to help you with that cash flow issue or work and save for the next yeah. three months, then start your company. Even what April was saying, leave it, living beneath your means, that's important too, right? If your income's very variable, you shouldn't be having extravagant dinners or yeah. or going out more. Well, you can go out, but just try and be mindful of your spending. Especially because out there in the Instagram world that we live in, everyone's like popping bottles and like entrepreneurship yeah. is sick. Look at my Ferrari, <laughs> right? And you get sucked into that because of confirmation bias and you're so like exposed to it. 
that uh, people think that that's how an entrepreneur should live. So that's a really good question. I like that one. Perfect. And the last one I had about finances, is um, I recently set up an account with Wealthsimple. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people, you know, in Toronto, it's, it's huge, right? They're really growing. Um, but I, I don't, I didn't know what to do with it. Right. I answered all kinds of questions, put in all my information. So I wanted to get your, uh, recommendation or opinion on is something like robo investing effective. I wouldn't have, I know that I wouldn't have time to kind of go and make decisions constantly about it. Mm-hmm. So that's why the idea is appealing to me that, you know, I choose something I, I care about and they're going to deal with, uh, what to do with that money. So Stefano and I are actually a part of Wealthsimple's Wealthsimple for Advisor platform. Oh, so cool. we're very, very knowledgeable about the uh, the platform itself. It's amazing. So um, really, this question comes up a lot like, oh, fees. You know, should I be spending money on fee on high-end mutual funds or advisors or financial planners? And it's really a question of preference. So a lot of people are the do-it-themselvers, right? If they are going to build a basement in their, um, if they're going to build out their basement at their house, I know a lot of people that would do it themselves. They'd screw up the drywall; it would be an angle, and I yeah. made fun. I make always used to make fun of Mark uh, growing up because his brother did the basement, <laughs> and one wall was like this. It was really good basement. I was just busting his yeah. balls, but they did it themselves, and obviously they saved a lot of money. And his brother's in the trade, so it kind of made sense. But it's a matter of preference, right? So the do-it-themselvers can go and invest on their own. They're not professionals, so they're going to make mistakes. And that's going to cost them. Frankly, from my experience, it's going to cost them more than what the fee would be for them to uh, get an advisor to do it. Uh, But then there's like everything in between. So there's like robo-advisors. Robo-advisors only help you with investing. Or like if you paid more for a financial planner, they would help you with like, oh, how to structure your corporation and like how to do your taxes and okay. like Where things to like put your money into what type of account. Yeah. Right, and and exactly. how much should I keep in my short term reserve? How can I get my credit card going right there? That holistic person. Right. Now, that costs a lot more. Have you ever seen those Quest Trade commercials? Yeah. I just saw the one with the baby and the woman yeah. walks in and she's like, I can't afford both of you yeah. now. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I'm like. <laughs> Man, you got to be able to afford both of you now because more now more than ever you need a financial advisor. How do you have time when the kids waking you up at nighttime to be right. to be focusing on your family's financial planning? The, the DIY approach doesn't really work in that case. Anyway, right? I'm a little I'm a little adamant on that. Don't get me started on those commercials, but like To be honest, I just feel like there are advisors that have given the whole industry a bad rap and people are skeptical right. because you know there were years where you know there were advisors that would say things and they would get a lot of money from clients and at the end of the day is the value really there for how much they're receiving so that's why the people are going towards you know let me do it myself but some people do need to have somebody there you know and i think questions yeah yeah that's why it is like a preference thing on customer service but i also think it's not just that it's also how much you do have to play with if if you you know if you saved up this large sum over years of working and you're like okay now I really want to figure out, of course, you're going to have the money to pay someone to do it properly for you, right? Yeah. Okay. But, so here's the thing on that, right? right? Currently, right now, financial planners charge percentages. Okay. Okay. So if you have a $10,000 portfolio, let's say, and a financial advisor you charge is a whomping, which gets a lot of bad credit out there, 2.5%. Mm-hmm. What's 2.5% on 10000 Can someone please tell me? $250. Per year. That's $30 a month. Okay. The question is not ra- rather, rather can you afford it, is will a financial planner take you on right. that price? Okay, that's, that makes that's sense. That's not even what the financial planner is making. They're probably only taking about one, 1%. Right. 
So, my, so yeah. So my thing is, is that most people think that, oh, well, I don't have enough money. Well, first, can you find a find a good financial planner to take you on with ten thousand dollars? Because usually, a good financial planner has a minimum of like a hundred or two hundred, right? Right. Uh, and then also is now if if you have two hundred thousand dollars out there, two point five percent. Yeah. That's expensive. Yeah. That's five grand a year, but you're probably getting the value because they're probably saving you like 10 G's. Yeah. And of, and right? of course, yeah, there's, and there's it's also negotiable when you have that much. Definitely. Any, any, everything's negotiable. So I love that question about, money, right? so I love that question about, do I have enough money? Because yeah. man, you're getting a steal. Someone, Stefano, for example, has a CFP, which means he pretty much knows a lot about <laughs> taxes and like yeah. estate planning and retirement planning and risk management and all that kind of stuff. If he would take your ten thousand dollar portfolio on and give you full financial planning for two hundred and fifty bucks a year, it's because I like you as a person. It's because he likes you as a person, and that means take it. That's yeah, a, that's like sure. tremendous. But I get your point though, because a lot of the media out there is like, yeah. oh no, you know, it's expensive. You don't have enough. And most money. of the financial products are marketed towards older people and rich and, and people that yeah. have more money, right? Yeah. But now there's this whole new digital wave like Wealth Simple and the up and coming financial planners that will take on young entrepreneurs for the back end upside, Got right? It. Like. That's for example, smart. we may take somebody on who's a pleasure to work with, but has a potential to become a million dollar client because we're younger. Yep. So Makes sense. that's interesting. But a uh, robo advisor like Wealth Simple is a great place to start. But the thing is that they only do one aspect of all of financial planning. They only do the investment part. Got it. Where if you want the projections and all that kind of stuff that comes with it, yeah, you have to pay more. But okay. it's, it's all about preference there. Got it. I went off on a on a bit there because that you struck a yeah, that's it struck, good. And, it and struck I, a chord with me. That that we get those questions. I'm gonna so log much. into my Wealth Simple account now. <laughs> yeah. Well, nonetheless. Right. Um, Any okay. other questions that you got through the speaking that you've been doing with university entrepreneurs or anything um, that you may have for us as that's come up over the last five years? Well, yeah. I mean, for five years for sure. Like one of the one of the questions that comes up, uh, it's come up a couple times, which is how do you value your business, right? Uh, this comes up, it's, it's, it's mm. a very difficult one, but it comes up when you want to talk with people who want to be a, a partner or someone who wants to invest. Right. And, you know, this also happens for some of our clients. Some of our clients will actually ask us to look over that, like their valuation and stuff. Right. And, um, you know, especially the ones that are trying to get us to work with them just for equity too. Mm -hmm. Um, and so for me, I know in a, with a service business, there's different rules that apply depending on your industry. And they're all finicky depending on who you ask. Totally. Of course. So my, my whole thing is, you know, can an entrepreneur actually rely on that number or is it just, should it just be seen as a bonus? Right. Mm -hmm. For me, that's the way I see it. Right. If I was to exit this business right now, I would want to see it as like, it's a bonus, you know, if that comes up. Um, and again, depending on the type of businesses, some of these people, some of my peers are making, it's not necessarily something that's sellable. Right. So I just want to know if you had to have thoughts on that. Uh, so when it comes to valuing a company, it all depends on a couple factors. So one is how in um, how involved is the founder in the company? Right. You know, a McDonald's can get sold for a lot more than probably your business that requires you more heavily. I know you're you're building these processes and systems to operate on its own, but still, right? Yep. Yep. Uh, and then it's also a yearly revenue multiplier. So right. let's say the entrepreneur, the founder, is if they're not working there, it doesn't work. It might be like one year's uh, Re yearly revenue right. or profit. But let's say it's a McDonald's. You could sell a McDonald's for like five to 10 years yearly revenue. Mm. So it depends on the multiplier, depends on how 
involved the founding team is and yep. whether or not they're going to stick on after they're it's purchased. Got it. So. That makes a lot of sense. And and for me, I know that, you know, there's a lot of startup clients we have that their intention is just to build this to sell to a competitor. Right. And so that they have to be very focused on those mm-hmm. stats and those values. Whereas for me, it's, it's, it's not my, my priority. I, I, I like that. That's respect. Okay. So give me two books that you we're going to rapid fire the last yep. four minutes here. You, you mind if I ask a quick question? Yeah, sure. Yeah. I got a quick question. We're noticing an increase in uh, the trends of conversations around the conscious shopper and, you know, obviously yeah. thinking green and being environmentally friendly. How important, how, how much are you noticing that with your clients? And then how much is it a priority for people that are coming to work here that uh, you want that to be part of the conversation? For sure. So for us, um, there's actually a couple of nonprofits that we support that are specifically in the uh, environmental space. Cool. Um, for me, it's, it's more about, um, because I have a background in nonprofit and social purpose, I try to apply that to some of our clients. So sometimes one of the unique marketing strategies for a business is actually owning the cause, right? right. There's some of these companies that donate every year to a charity and, and you would never know that, right? So how do you integrate that in? How does the customer experience? I feel good when I'm working with a vendor that I know donates to a certain cause, right? Um, and, and that, again, it could be other people might not uh, care about that as much in their decision-making process. But for me, it does it does matter. Um, so we like to choose businesses and clients that are like social purpose um, uh, that have that that mission. Sometimes it doesn't mean it's charitable or cause based, but they have um, they're purpose driven, right? Um, when it comes to like environmental uh, practices or you know how you treat um, what you donate to, how you treat your community, um, we've had you know a lot of interns that like that do love that. Um, it hasn't been a major sticking point for people we're hiring specifically because especially ones that are just on a project basis, but our portfolio of work that shows these, these types of projects has drawn people in, um, because they see that's the kind of things we're thinking about. And that's the kind of impact we want to make. And the world's making a push that way too. Like sustainability. It is. Yeah. Responsibility. There's always a concern for like the whole term about greenwashing, right? Which is making your stuff, uh, just fully leading with that, right? The, the actual company or the product might not be so great, but because it, it has this like element to it that's environmental, it maybe it's like 5% renewable or something, but you're you're making that the main selling feature. Um, and, and as a marketer, I would want to, of course, catch that, right? And and not try to push it out there. Um, but we've had a couple of clients who are coming up with products. I can't talk about it yet, um, but I'm very excited about where they're going in give that us, trend. Give us something. Uh, no, I can't. I love it. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, two books every entrepreneur should read, in your opinion. Uh, in my opinion, uh, there's a book called Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's you know hugely popular uh, by Simon Sinek. You don't have to read the book if you're a busy entrepreneur. You can watch his TED Talks. He's done like two or three of them now. Um, but I've used Start With Why literally in facilitation with organizations, nonprofits, and some clients. I like that. Uh, so he has a whole roadmap you can use uh, in a diagram uh, to find like really why your company is doing what it's doing. Uh, the next thing, the other book, sorry, I would say is Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite by Paul Arden. There's actually a... Um, a series of three or four books that um, are part of this. It's a very small book. Um, love what it does. Love love the visuals. It's it's great for anyone in advertising or marketing. Uh, best platform for twenty twenty marketing. Twenty twenty marketing. Um, 
It depends. I know there's a lot out there. Is it TikTok? Is Facebook dying? No, is no, something it's, else it's, coming? It's not TikTok um, yet. I think for 2020, it's honestly going to be Instagram and and really uh, using the features that they have. And for, still champion. Yes. And still a champion. But also, like, how can people make purchases? Like, with Shopify integration and stuff like that, like, people aren't taking full advantage of that yet. Mm, right? so, love that. Okay, cool. What's one piece of advice that you would give to your 15 year old self if he was sitting here in all oh of my his God. glory. Um, so for me, I think, <laughs> um, okay, let me just think about that one. I mean, for me, I, I dove really quickly into everything, right? So with my nonprofit, with my business, um, someone early on that was kind of a mentor told me that, you know, they said to me that I, I could always do the business. I could always do the agency side, but the the momentum I have going with the nonprofit is something that might be hard to like, bring back later. Right. True. So for me, I, I kind of refuse to, you know, uh, choose. Right. Uh, and so I've been focusing a lot on both. Obviously the nonprofit has had times where there wasn't much happening, but we've actually found a solution to that, which is that, you know, we're not trying to run a day-to-day -day organization with an office, right. We're trying to actually create the most impact with helping students and youth with their projects. So I've found a way to integrate that. Um, the advice I would give myself is probably to, uh, really map out how I want my days to look and and plan backwards from there. Hmm. Instead of just your own stuff would have been like boring. Yeah, it's that. true. <laughs> well, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I did start the nonprofit like when I was in grade ten, so wow. it was kind of like I had that base. I had no idea where it would where it would go. Mm -hmm. Um, but I would probably sell, tell myself to slow down a little bit. <laughs> hey, uh, this is actually Stefano's first time on the podcast. Uh, what would be your advice to your twenty year old self, Stefano? My 20 year old self? Yeah. I don't know. I didn't think you were going to ask me this. I know. I'm throwing it out there that. for you, Mr. Boring. <laughs> oh. <okay. laughs> I, had to, I, had to, I had to give it to you for giving it to Daniel over there. <laughs> no, 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 no. He doesn't mind. He doesn't mind. Uh, my I know. 20 year old self, honestly, just kind of sticking to your guns. And if, if, if I want something, like to really put 100%. Because at that time, you know, there were times where I would start something and I wouldn't finish it. And um, yeah, I'm still learning today about that. So it's a long process. Where can people find you, Daniel? Um, I'm mostly active. Well, I'm pretty much active daily on LinkedIn uh, and Instagram uh, and Twitter as well. Um, that's through my personal, just search my name, Daniel Francovilla, but also, uh, now creates is our username on all platforms. We post uh, a lot of, uh, tips, events, resources, podcasts like this, but uh, the biggest reason to follow us is because of our events that we host. If you happen to be in Toronto, there's all kinds of things that we're doing here at Soho Innovation Lab and, uh, uh, even online programs and courses that we recommend to people. So Feel free to follow Not Creates on social media and yeah. uh, look me up. The events that you guys host are great. I've been to a lot <laughs> of them. I'm actually doing a talk at one in January. We're talking nice. with uh, Kristen, is it? Yes, Kirsten. Kirsten. Yeah. Kirsten. Yeah, right You're now. You're going to be doing one of the Soho sessions here. Absolutely. Can't wait. Yep. That'll be fun. Thank you for coming on. We went longer than we had to. I could honestly <laughs> go for another hour, but yes. uh, Daniel has to get back to doing what he does. Got a meeting right now. And we got to get back to doozing what we do. <laughs> Until next time, this is what they did not teach you in school. Peace. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the wise investor. Until next time, this is what they did not teach you in school. We hope to see you soon.